the victory for you. And whatever has been stolen from you, Jesus bought it back. Now, when you walked through these doors, you saw a picture, an artist's drawing of a lion. A lion that had scars and wounds from battle, but a powerful lion. The lion of the tribe of Judah has purchased for you victory. Now, whatever, whatever the enemy has stolen, it could be your health. It could be your mental health. It could be your children. Guess what? Jesus, Jesus bought it back. He bought it back. And we're going to declare and decree. See, this is the thing. You have to get a resolve in yourself. You have to be resolved to say, I will receive everything Jesus bought back for me. I will not listen to the report of the world. I will not listen to the report of the enemy. I will not listen to my circumstances. I will declare and decree my champion. You fought for me and you have bought back for me everything the enemy has stolen. Just like that scripture in the book of Judges that Jephthah says, are we not to possess everything that our God has dispossessed from the enemy? Come on, people. Come on, people. Yeah, you're in a battle, but the battle is won. Now go get, go get that inheritance. Go get that territory. Go it is not a fantasy it's not a folklore it's not just a story it is a truth of your existence in 2019 so come on this is an anthem and we're going to declare it we're going to learn to declare and to decree and believe God for the victory that he has paid for us yes Lord Yes, God. Yes, God. You know, the Lord is doing a new thing in our midst, folks. I don't know what he's doing other places, but I know here God is stirring something. And he's stirring us to a new level, a new, a new depth of relationship with him. And, you know, this last, last Sunday we had a, a, a powerful outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our church. And that's going to be the that's going to be the norm. That's not the exception. That's the norm. You can be seated for a moment. I want to just share some things that the Lord has laid upon my heart. Normally, in our service here, we have an exhortation time, and I was thinking this last week. Really, the the Lord is very heavy upon my heart about what He wants to do here. And part of it is, you know, God wants to do. A, a powerful restoration of the things of the Spirit in our midst. Do you know the Spirit of God was not relegated to the first century? The Spirit of God was not limited until, you know, the time the apostles were here. But the reason that the Holy Spirit came, Jesus said the Holy Spirit, when he was leaving, he says, he met with his disciples in John chapter 20, and he breathed upon him and he said, Receive the Spirit. And then in Acts chapter 2, he told them, he says, 
you're to stay in Jerusalem until you're until the Holy Spirit comes, until you're empowered with the Spirit. And I'm going to do two powerful, powerful things in your life. The first thing I'm going to do, I'm going to lead you and guide you into all truth. And the truth is His Word. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Jesus Christ. So what we do is when we get into the Word, we get into what Jesus has for us. All that He has for us, you know? And the second thing He said, He says, I will make you my witnesses. I will empower you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said the same Spirit that lived in Him lives in us. And what He wants to do is He wants to release that. So it's not just like, you know, kept up in a box, you know? It's not just... We don't, we don't con- control the Spirit. The Spirit controls us. So I was thinking about it this week, and I was thinking about what has God called this church to be? And I think part of it has to do with the anointing of your pastors. Because, you know, we have doctorates in leadership, so everything rises and falls on leadership. And if you follow anything in Scripture, the nations that, that serve the Lord, they, their leaders serve the Lord. And our challenge is this. Our challenge as as your pastors is to equip you with the Word of God so that you can rightly divide it, so you can handle it yourself. Because we live in a culture that is very spiritual, but not for the right reasons. They're into all kind of spirits. And and my wife and I have this expression. We say that the spirit realm's a superhighway. And that's why you have to have the truth of His Word. You have to filter out those impurities. You have to take those things that are not from the Word of God and extract them from your life and, 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 and actually quarantine them so they don't contaminate you. So I was thinking about the, the, what is God's desire for the, the church and the operation of the, the Spirit in the church. And in the book of Acts, there are several passages. I want to just take a, a look at one of them, but one of them is found in Acts chapter 3, and I, you throw that up on the screen if you would, Dylan. You know, part of the, the desire of the Lord is to restore the church into operations of the things of the Spirit. And this is what it says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. It says, Therefore repent and return, so that your sins may be wiped away, in order that the times of refreshing may come for the, from the presence of the Lord, and that He may send Jesus, the Christ appointed to you, whom heaven must receive until the period of restoration of all things. Now, I underlined that because that's a really important uh, passage of the text. It's the, it's the period of restoration of all things which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. You see, restoration is bringing back to the original intent of what God had. Restoration, you know, I, I, I like to do uh, furniture restoration. And I, one day I, I found an old desk on the side of the road... And the owner, I knocked on his door, and I said, hey, are you going to throw that away? And he says, yeah, it's just, what do you want it for? He said, well, you want it for kindling or something? I said, yeah, something like that. And I took it home, and over the course of several months, I stripped it down completely. I refinished it. I put all new hardware on it. I put all, got it all ready. And one day, I saw him walking by, and I said, hey, I want you to come see that old desk you're throwing out. And he walked in. He goes, wow, that's amazing. What I did is I restored it to its original purpose. And what God wants to do is he wants the church to be restored. And the way the restoration occurs is by the restoration of all things. And that means all the things that he has promised the church. God doesn't want us to just be, you know, hyped up in church service and then go away the same. He wants us to be reformed. And what does reform do? 
You, you are molded and made into his image. That's our goal, not to become like me. I don't want you all shave your heads. You know, you look good in it, but, you know, most of the, most of the people wouldn't look good with shaved heads, you know. Right, Fred? But we want to be restored and renewed in him. We want our transformation in who we are. And part of the way he does that, he, he builds up the church. And if you look in the Gospel of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus talking to Simon Peter, or Simon Barjona, rather, excuse me, he says, and, and he said this, he says, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I also say to you, Peter, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. And listen to that. He'll give you the keys of the kingdom. That means you have ownership of what's in heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And one of the things that this church is going to become, we're not there yet, we're getting there, but we're being a place where God is opening up heaven above us, and the things that are in heaven are going to transpire on earth. We're going to be ushers in of the presence of God. And you know what is amazing about it? Wherever you go, you usher in the presence. You change the atmosphere wherever you're at. You change the environment wherever you go. You are the ones that dictate around you what is happening and how God wants to transform you, how God wants to renew you. And I love this because one of the things that Matthew brings out in this, he says that we're going to be people who, who, who overcome the world. We are people who overcome the things of the world, and we overpower it. You know how we overpower it? By the power of the Holy Spirit that he gave us on the day of Pentecost. We overcome it by the word, by our testimony. We overcome it because according to what scripture says, he says he has given us all authority. And the word authority is a very, very strong word in the original language. It actually talks about the having, having the, the ability to overcome and command all situations and circumstances. So as you and I are walking in the power and the authority of the word, we overcome by the authority of his word. Not by your good looks, not by your charm, not by your knowledge, not by your wealth, not by your intellect. You overcome by the word of God. That's why it's important for us to be people who speak forth the word. Be people who embody the word and allow the word to come out of us when we're around other people. That's why we proclaim things, because we have the authority of the written word of God behind us. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit. So that comes to where we're, we're at. You see, God, God has given this church right now during this season a very unique gift. And I'm not just doing one of these things. We are a gift to the church. The pastors of this church are a gift to the church. We are called not just to, you know, blow smoke at you. We're not called to, we're called to lead you into deeper things spiritually. You know, I had a conversation with a young pastor this week, and one of the things we talked about was our formation in ministry and how God forms you. You see, I was radically converted to faith. Lynn was raised in the faith. We bring two different dimensions to our understanding of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Hers is the sustaining power of God's grace. Mayan is the radical conversion power of God's grace. You know, I talked to the pastor that led me to the Lord this week, and I was telling him what happens. I call him every couple months to tell him what happens in our church and our ministry. And, he, and I told him how I shared the story of how I came to faith. And he says, yeah, David, you were a real stinker. 
And he goes, everyone in town knew it. But you know what happens? The power of the gospel gets into you and you're transformed. The power of the gospel is able to sustain you like he did in Pastor Lynn's life. And so when I look at the, the giftings of what we had, I look at the book of Ephesians. And the book of Ephesians is interesting because it says that God gave gifts to the church. You know, it's, this is the time of the year you start, you go gift shopping, right? We have gifts up here. And look what it, go to the next slide if you would, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. It says, and so Christ himself, Christ himself gave gifts to the church. And he gave what kind of gifts? He gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers for the purpose of what? To equip who? You all. To equip you all with the power of the gospel. Our goal is not to preach what you want to hear. Our goal is to preach what you need to hear. You see, there's a big difference in those two things. We preach what the Word of God says because you need to hear the full counsel of the Word of God. And God's Word wants to proclaim something to you. And He says He builds you up until when you reach the unity of faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure. You see, in the church world, we've kind of we've, we've rephrased those things. An apostle is now, we call it a missionary. You know? And what is an apostle? It's actually a sent one. It's someone who's sent to an area to take them into a new arena. And actually the word apostle has some, some powerful things. It's actually a delegate who comes to unlock spiritual truth so that the kingdom of God can be advanced to a new level. You see, the prophet, the prophet comes with a spoken word of God. The prophet comes with a, a declaration of the word of God, not just declaring it, but declaring it in such a way that the people that hear it, that embrace it, are transformed by it. All right? Our anointing is pastors. We are pastors, but our primary anointing is apostolic and prophetic. I'm more of a teacher. Lynn is more of a prophet. I'm, I, we both have the apostolic anointing. How do I know that? Because if you were here seven years ago, eight years ago, nine years ago, there was a, a, an, a, a situation in this church that was not very good. It was financially hurting. It was spiritually hurting. It was numerically hurting. It was facility. The facility was hurting. And what happened? There was a breakthrough. Now, I don't say it was all us, but our leadership and listening to the Holy Spirit helped us break those things off. So as a consequence, we're moving into a new arena. And I believe God is preparing us for something supernatural to happen. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to allow you and I to walk into a new dimension of his anointing. But the choice is yours. Our responsibility is to preach the word of God to you. Your responsibility is to say, come Holy Spirit. Dry bones awaken. Come Holy Spirit. Dry bones awaken. Some of us, man, we're like, we're like turkey legs that have been sitting on the, the, the window, the bones for a year from last Thanksgiving, and we need a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We need a fresh anointing. We need a fresh wave of the Spirit coming in. And our role as your pastors is to do that for you. Whether you like it or not, Saturday night, 
Moms, dads that have little kids that have been running around the yard all day, what do they get? They get a bath. They get drenched. They get put into the waters to be refreshed and renewed. And what we're going to do to you, what our challenge is, is to pour out the Holy Spirit upon you. And I, I was telling someone in the foyer this morning that God opened a new door and arena for them. And I tell you what, God's opening a new door and arena for this church. Drive. This is what I want us to do. I want us to stand up straight, right? I want you just to raise your hands and ask the Holy Spirit. Now, let me, let me, before you do it, let me just tell you something. Some of us have had experiences in the church that have made us afraid of the, the Holy Spirit. Which to me is crazy because that's part of the Godhead. That's who Jesus said, I will give to you when I'm gone. He says, you know, the Father's in heaven. Jesus is seated at his right hand. And he says, I'm going to breathe upon you the Holy Spirit so that you can have a spirit of truth. How many of you want to know truth? How many of you want to be empowered by his spirit to discern? So, Father, right now, we just ask that you would come. I pray that, God, you would come into all of our lives. Lord, we sung songs this morning about taking away fear, taking away anxiety, taking away all of this, the obstacles in front of us. And God, we ask that your Holy Spirit would come and do that. And I ask that God, just like you did in the days of Pentecost, you would come on your disciples and you would fill us to overflowing. Lord, let us become bold witnesses of who you are as the God of all gods, as the King of all kings, as the Lord of all lords. And I pray that God, your Holy Spirit will just come upon us in a supernatural way. I pray that, God, the dry bones in us would be awakened. I pray that the Holy Spirit will come like a monsoon rain. God, I pray that the Spirit of God would come upon us with power and might. And I pray that, God, you would transform us to become like your son, Jesus. I pray that, God, no matter what, no matter what our past may be, I pray you would speak to our future, that we would become men and women who are powerful in the things of the Spirit. And we thank you for that, Jesus, in your name. That's right. That's right. Maybe seated. Actually, Scripture says, Leviticus 6.13 says, the fire must be kept burning on the altar continuously. It must not go out. Okay? So this is the thing. It's not one time I got it by. It's not, uh, oh, I got, you know, last week was really great, so I don't need to show up for a while until I'm empty and dry. Okay, come on, people. You know where I'm going here. Scripture says right from the beginning, when God established the tabernacle, the presence of the Lord in the midst of the people, is that the fire shall not go out. And I think, Pastor David and I, one of the things that we are re are uh, going to advocate in your life is the fire is not going to go out. It's not going to go out in your life, and it's not going to go out from this house. And we've only just begun. We are in a new season. I feel like I'm in a new season. It's funny because I've preached, I don't even know how many messages, for decades now. And I feel in some ways like I'm starting over. Like I feel a little bit like, I don't know what I'm doing. Like there's been the times where... <laughs> 
Ah, you know where you're going. You know what? I don't know. You know, and the Lord's like, you know what? Just follow me. Just follow me. It's funny because we had the Holy Spirit retreat uh, last week. And we will have another one of those. But don't wait to get baptized in the Holy Spirit till our next Holy Spirit baptism retreat. Uh, we will have another one. Uh, I'll let you know when. Probably at least uh, in November of, of 2020. But one thing about that is, is that we are committed to remaining full of the Spirit. Remaining full of the Spirit. I've, I've, like you all know, if you've listened to me at all, is I've been brought up in the church. I was, uh, you know, I was born on a Sunday. Yes. So that's, the fact is that I was in the church right after I was born, never left the church. And I have uh, met a lot of uh, followers of Christ that let the fire go out or at least get a little dim and they can tongue talk on one hand, but don't have the fire on the other. How is that possible? It can be possible. We have to have the fire of God in us. That's why G- John the Baptist said that Jesus would come and he would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Okay. But that's not what I'm preaching about. That's just extra. Today is um, about give me the mountain of worship. And, it's n- and I'm not going to talk to you about, you know, we raise our hands, we clap, worship like that. I'm actually going to talk to you about really what worship's about. Because it's not about all of that. And a lot of times the church, or at least the organization or the culture of the church, has gotten into I miss worship. You miss worship? How can you miss worship? You worship. You were the, you worship. You didn't miss worship. You may have missed the music, but you didn't miss worship because it's something that we do. And it's not entertainment, and it's not performance, and it's not smoke, and it's not a crowd up here and we watch. It's not spectatorship. It's not an emotional high. Come on. Yes, the Lord does ride on our emotions. The Holy Spirit does ride on our senses, okay? Yes, he does, but listen, it's not about how you feel. Worship is not about how you feel, and it's not about who's leading worship. And we have made, in our church culture, um, celebrities worship leaders, and it has shifted to worship concerts. I don't really, I'm just going to be, I'm just going to be really honest with you. I, I'm not against you going to a worship concert, but don't think that's worship unless you are worshiping. That's a concert. That's people who have worked for hours to perfect music and to perform it for you. And they may or may not be worshiping as they do it. Because worship is something we do in response to the presence of God. And I'm going to confront us all today about worship because we need to recognize what true worship is, true worship is. And the the mountain we're going to take down because what gets in the way typically of our worship is our self, the mountain of self in order to worship, the mountain of of self. We have to confront our own self to worship. You can stand in here. You can even get here on time. You can even get here early. Praise the Lord. Let it be so. Amen. I'm just going to, you know what? New season. New season. I'm going I'm to tell you what I actually pray about around here. You may get here from the point that they begin 
worshiping in the sense of we began to corporately gather, okay? But you can stand and sing a song and not worship. You can clap your hands and not worship. Because worship is your response to God's presence. It's about your surrender. It's about your obedience. It's about your submission and honor to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we're going to talk about some of the things that can get in our way. And we're going to use scripture. We use mostly the Old Testament. We're going to get to the New Testament But we're going to start with King David, because King David was known as a man with a heart after God. And uh, this is something that I spoke about uh, at the Holy Spirit retreat, because that's something that's foundational to walking in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I say walking in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, not not experiencing the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I'm saying walking in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you see the difference? Daily walking in and David was known to have a heart after God, and he was a worshiper. And David, when he became king, his first, one of his first desires was to have the Ark of the Covenant return to the city of David. He had that heart because he wanted that. The Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God, the intimacy with God. First Chronicles 13, and we're going to go through this. I've selected some verses to help give you the picture of the story. So he's going to bring back the Ark of the Covenant to the city of David because it was lost or it was taken by the enemy under Saul's reign. And now David, this is in the first part of his uh, leadership as king. First Chronicles 13, 3. He says, let us bring the Ark of our God back to us, for we did not inquire of it during the reign of Saul. See, Saul had no interest. Once it was taken, he didn't inquire or try to get it back. We're going to hit Saul in a minute about where his heart was. The whole assembly agreed to do this because it seemed right to all the people. David and all Israel went to Bala of Judah to bring up from there the ark of God the Lord, who is enthroned between the cherubim, the ark that is called by the name, the holy name. They moved the ark of God from Abinadab's house on a new cart with Uzzah and Ahio guiding it. David and all the Israelites were celebrating with all their might before God. Verse 9, when they came to the threshing floor of Kidon. I want you just to note threshing floor there. When they came to the threshing floor of Kidon, Uzzah reached out his hand to steady the ark because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah, and he struck him down because he had put his hand on the ark. So he died there before God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of God that day and asked, how can I ever bring the ark of God to me? He did not take the ark to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, who happened to be a priest. The ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house for three months, and the Lord blessed his household and everything he had. So here you have David mad at God, throwing a fit, because... He's trying to bring the presence of God into, amongst the people, but he's doing it man's way. 
Because he doesn't inquire of God. He inquires of man. He wants to have the presence of God, but he wants it according to his own desires. How do you want the presence of God to come to you? Well, this is what I'm going to do, God, and this is what I'm not going to do in your presence. See, this is somewhat of the mentality, is I'm going to do it my way, not God's way, because God had a way. And David learned something very important about the presence of God that we still learn today and still are to follow today, that God's presence does not come on man's terms. God's presence comes on God's terms. See, the presence of the Lord is to rest on people. And the problem here is that David has set this up, that these men are carrying the Ark of the Covenant on a cart. But the way that it was supposed to be carried, according to God's law, was on the shoulders of man, not on a cart. Because God's ways are to be respected. See, David did it his way. He did not have the Levites carry the ark on their shoulders. And I really wanted to confront us today in God's presence. Do we want to do it our way so that we remain comfortable? Do we want, do we resist the spirit of God when he is asking us to do things, do something that's, confronting to our pride because this is the thing about the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord rests on humans. It doesn't rest on things. It doesn't rest on a building. It doesn't rest on a cathedral. It doesn't rest in the oil I put on your head. The presence of God rests on humans. And when God's presence rests on us, there's a purpose to his presence. So you see here in this text that God's anger burns at the pride of man. At what? Not at man, at the pride of man. You see, God doesn't, there is no room for man's pride in God's presence. When we want to be prideful in the presence of God, you know what we're doing? We're trying to manhandle God's presence. This is what I think it should look like. What am I comfortable with? You know what? I've never seen that happen before. I'm not really uncomfortable with that. I've seen it. I've never seen it. It's not in my history. It's not in my history. I've been in church. Pastor Lynn, I've been in a church for 20 years. Well, I've been in church for 50 years. I don't like that. <laughs> but the problem is we can get spiritually proud even. And in that moment, the Lord resists us. See, the fact is this, Pastor David and I have prayed that this house would prosper, and it is prospering. This house is prospering. But for a house, God's house to prosper, it must be humble. And we are tested in our humility in worship. That are we willing to humble ourselves before the Lord? Or do we want it our way? Do you want to be cool to the world? Come on. You know what? Cool does not make it in the presence of God. I don't see one scripture that says be cool. Because God's all about fire and hot, right? 
So quit trying to be cool to the world. You don't need to, the church does not need to be cool to the world. Who cares? We need to be fire to the world. But the fact is this, I'm sick of churches that take surveys. Do you like this song? What do you want me to preach on? You know what? Get down on your face before God and let him speak to you. Fire of God, the presence of God. Scripture says this, King Saul did not inquire to bring back the ark. He did not inquire to bring back the ark. Why didn't King Saul, the king before King David, not inquire to bring back the ark? It was because Saul was a man pleaser. And Saul continued in his pride. See, what brought Saul down in his power and authority and ended up being defeated by the enemy was Saul's pride and his desire to please man. And his, because of his sin of pride, his anointing, was stripped from him. See, Saul wanted power and authority without purity. Oh, no. He wanted power and authority without purity. And when we are in the presence of the Lord, the Lord does a work of purification in our lives. See, the fact is this. As a result, that Saul did not want to submit himself and surrender his human pride to God, but he still wanted power. What did Saul do? He went and consulted the world's power. He went to the mediums, the powers of darkness to try to get answers because he still wanted power, but he still wanted his pride and his sin. And as a result, God rejected Saul. And the fact is this, what do we learn? Our prime, I'm just going to be honest with you, I don't care. I don't care if you have a doctorate. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 60 years. I don't care if you're a brand new baby in Christ. I don't care if you, whatever. The fact is this, all human pride must be relinquished in the presence of God. The fact is this, and the presence of the Lord is increasing over this house. If you resist the Holy Spirit when you're in the presence of the Lord, you're fortifying the stronghold of pride in your life. Okay, I'm going to do that again. I'm going to say it to both sides. If you resist the presence of the Lord and relinquishing your pride, and you're in the presence of the Lord, you are fortifying your pride. And your pride is the enemy's will. Yeah, I was. See, this is the thing. When you resist, and I am really targeting resisting the Holy Spirit today. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. When you resist the Holy Spirit, you are hardening your heart towards the Lord. And when you harden your heart towards the Lord, you are deceiving yourself and the enemy is deceiving you. And I am targeting that because in the last days, there's a great deception that's sweeping over even the church. And I even see 
it now because I've been in the church long enough that I know people who were called to ministry. I went to Bible college with them, and et cetera. And I see people falling right and left to the things of the world that I never would have guessed they would have fallen. And it gives me a holy fear. Gives me a holy fear of how great deception can be. But you know where it begins? It begins in the pride of man. And I am confronting us today that we will remain soft-hearted to the Lord. And we will sustain a willing spirit. And so whatever the Lord speaks to us in our times of worship, we will do. And whatever the Lord speaks to you as an individual in the time of worship, you are to respond to. See, this is the thing. You need to be in the presence of the Lord because the presence of the Lord keeps your heart soft and pliable. That's why I encourage you to be with us together. This world is constantly trying to harden your heart towards the things of God. God, give us a willing heart. Keep the fire burning, Lord. See, through David, we learn, we experience the presence of God on God's terms. And when the church organization in our culture wants to tell Holy Spirit what to do, there's a problem. I'm go- you know what? The book of Acts is the manual for the growth of the church. The book of Acts. And the book of Acts tells us that the Holy Spirit was in control. Not man, but the Holy Spirit. See, God still opposes the proud. James 4, 6. God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. And I want us to lay the foundation that as we are in the presence of God, that we are humble before him. And David learns this very vital lesson at the beginning of his leadership. That you will do this on my terms, David. You will not do it on man's terms, and you will not do it to please man. You will do it on my terms. And so we see David surrender to God's ways because he goes back to get the ark. And he does it God's ways. First Chronicles 15, 1 through 3. And David had constructed buildings for himself in the city of David. He prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, no one but the Levites may carry the ark of God because the Lord chose them to carry the ark of the Lord and to minister before him forever. No one but the Levites. David assembled all Israel and Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to the place he had prepared for it. Chronicles fifteen twelve. He said to them, you are the heads of the Levitical families. You and your fellow Levites are to consecrate yourselves and bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place I have prepared for it. It was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord, our God, broke out in anger against us. See, the Levites were the priests of God. Guess what? You are also the priests because we are a holy priesthood now together. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. We did not inquire of God how to do it in the prescribed way. So the priests and Levites consecrated themselves in order to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God with the poles on their shoulders as Moses had commanded in accordance with the word of the Lord. 
David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their fellow Levites as musicians to make a joyful sound with musical instruments, lyres, harps, and cymbals. So David and the elders of Israel and the commanders of units of thousands went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with rejoicing. Because God had helped the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Listen, who helped? Who helped the Levites carry the Ark of the Covenant? God carried, not a cart. God says, I will assure my presence in. I am with man in this. I will assure my, I will help bring the presence of the Lord. Now David was clothed in a robe of fine linen, as were all the Levites who were carrying the ark. And as, they, as were the musicians and Kenanite, who was in charge of the singing of the choirs, David also wore a linen ephod. So all Israel brought up the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horns and trumpets and of cymbals and the playing of lyres and harps. As the ark of the covenant of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michael, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David dancing and celebrating, she despised him in her heart. Second time around. Second time around, David does it God's way. The Levites carry the ark. The ark accompanies is accompanied by God's presence and David humbles himself before the Lord why does the ark need to rest on the shoulders of man because God's presence is all about intimacy closeness the Lord wants to be close his breath wants to be on you when you are close to someone you can feel their and God's Holy Spirit is his breath on you. And so you see in the scripture, not only do the Levites carry the ark, and God helps the Levites carry the ark, but David clothes himself in priestly garments. He takes off his royal robes, he removes his royal robes, and he puts on the humble clothes of a priest, of a Levite. And I'm going to tell you that's very symbolic. Because whatever you think you come here to offer, whatever kind of thing you bring, whatever kind of identity you have, the fact is this, it needs to be removed and submitted with full and complete surrender and humility to the Lord when you're in his presence. The Lord does ask of you. Hmm. The Lord don't want anything from you. And I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. You alone, I long to worship. You alone are worthy of my praise. See, this is the thing. He does want your worship. He wants more of you. He wants your surrender. He wants to be close to you. And in this moment, see, David in, takes off his royal robes, puts on the humble clothes. I don't know where somebody, people got some sort of weird theology. David danced naked. He never danced naked. If, you got, if some preacher told you that, they didn't read the word. He danced in the linen clothing of a priest, which represented purity and humility before God. But his wife, Michael, didn't like that because Michael was from the tribe of pride. 
She was from the tribe of pride. And she despised him in her heart. She didn't like the fact that he had taken off the royal robes. She wanted him to remain in his pride. She wanted to shame him for submitting himself to the Lord, too, for surrendering himself to the Lord. But David cared more about pleasing God than he did about pleasing Michael. He cared more about his relationship with God than with man. And I'm going to tell you that when you come into this place as we worship together, as you're giving all of your praise to him, I don't ever want you to be ashamed of worshiping. I never, never want you to feel like somebody is trying to shame you. Some religious person or worldly person. Oh, you look so silly. Maybe you, you know what? You should bring people, your friends who don't know Christ here. You should. I want you to. But when you get here, don't you dare relinquish your worship to please or make them feel comfortable. I will give you all my worship. I will give you all my praise. I love you more than anything. Come on. And that's what David did. He said, guess what, Michael? I don't care. I can become more undignified than this because I will give him anything and everything that he wants. See, the fact is this. David had learned something. He had seen that the results of doing it man's way produced death, but the results of doing God's way produced life and blessing. Actually, in 1 Chronicles 17, 27, it's not up here, but it says, For what you bless, O Lord, is blessed forever. What you bless, O Lord, is blessed forever. How is it to live that way? What you bless is blessed forever. Nobody can take away the blessing of God. So David took off his royal robes to worship in submission to the Spirit of the Lord. And we are to abandon our royal robes and to even abandon and relinquish a framework that we think this is how God should do it. But welcome his presence without barriers and boundaries. See, the Lord doesn't live in a box. You don't bring out the God box, the Holy Spirit box when you come to this church. He is not in your box. And he was telling David, I'm not in your box. And he's still not in a box. Saul, King Saul, because of his pride, was stripped of his royal robes because he would not worship. And David remained in authority until his physical death because he would worship. See, God's power and authority can walk with you all the days of your life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. All Surely, goodness, which means glory. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I can walk a blessed person because I am a worshiper. So let's take off our royal robes. Meaning, whatever you're good at, any self-righteousness, self-rightness, your pride, your successes. Oh, it's not in my personality, Pastor Lynn. Take off your personality, will you? Take it off. You know what? I'll tell you the truth. It's not my personality to preach to you. 
seriously. But I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And it's not just because he called me to preach. He has also called and chosen you. So we are to humble ourselves in God's presence. And we are to say, change me, God. Change me. Transform me. When I'm in your presence, transform me. Lord, if I have pride, and sometimes pride or insecurity we can use as some sort of defense. Oh, I won't worship that way. I won't raise my hands. I won't lay on the floor. I won't dance before the Lord. You know what? Don't put God in a box. And there is no place for no in God's presence. Oh, I'm going to say that again. There is no place for no in God's presence. Because once you say no, you have stepped out of God's presence. There is not a place for no. So let's fast forward. King David had learned a a lesson. It happened on the threshing floor. And that's when Uzziah died. And he learned to do it God's way. He learned to submit himself. But fast forward because years later... He also has had many victories. He is very, very prominent and very, very successful. So successful that he has a temptation. And that temptation is this. I'm going to count my people. Pastor David, how many do we have today? Oh, it's more than last week. Or how better better this? I'm going to count my likes. I made a statement. Oh, you know how many likes I had? I'm going to count my followers. I'm going to count. So God sends him to a a threshing floor. Now, a threshing floor is a place, if you don't know what it means in Scripture, it was a place where the chaff would be loosened from grains after harvest. So they would actually pound the grain so that the chaff, the stuff that's no good, would blow away in the wind. It was a time of beating and a time of releasing. And so God sends him to a threshing floor. Now, remember, he had already been at a threshing floor because that's what happened when Uzziah died. And so this is what happens. He sins against God because he decides to take this big old census to count his people. And God knows the heart of David, that the heart of David is pride. He knows that he is being arrogant in doing this and that he wants to have this number because it's a temptation to him to have his his glory to rest on man i have all this uh uh, success rather than remaining humble before god he's tempted to have his laurels and success of man and god disciplines david and he gives him three options of how he's going to discipline david and david chooses the plague, and the plague takes 7,000 of his people. They're killed because of this plague. And David, and God says, now you go to the threshing floor, David. So he goes back to the threshing floor, which brings us to First Chronicles 21, verse 18. Then the angel of the Lord ordered Gad to tell David to go up. Gad was the prophet. To tell David to go up and build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Arana, the Jebusite. And David said to him, Let me have the site of your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the Lord that the plague on the people may be stopped. Sell it to me at full price. See, Arana was willing to give it to David for nothing. 
Arana said to David, take it. Let my lord, the king, do whatever pleases him. But David replied to Aruna, no, I insist on paying the full price. I will not take for the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that costs me nothing. And David built an altar to the Lord there and sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. He called on the Lord and the Lord answered him with fire from heaven on the altar of burnt offerings. He goes back to the threshing floor because David needs to be cleansed once again of his pride and of his sin. He goes back to the place to lay before the Lord, the place of confession, the place of forgiveness. See, when we're in worship, we're at the threshing floor. We're at a holy place, a place where we are cleansed. And part of that cleansing means I'm sorry, God. I confess I repent. And you know what? There's many times we have to repent of our sin. There's many times, even like King David, who had a heart after God, who God had blessed, who God had given great victories. He goes to the threshing floor and says, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me, God. I'm not enough unless you come. Will you meet me here again? Because all I want is all you are. Will you meet me here again? That's where David was. He was at the threshing floor where the Lord, where the Lord took away his guilt, where the Lord took away his shame in God's presence. And I'm going to tell you, that's why we cannot sustain the pride of man. Because for our shame to be undone, for our sin to be forgiven, for our guilt to be taken away, we have to repent. The world's philosophy says, oh, shame's so bad for you. And it is. It is bad for you. But in order for you to be free from it, truly free, you have to repent. If I confess my sin. If I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. And that is found in the presence of the Lord, a place of surrender, a place of purification at the threshing floor. And worship is a threshing floor. You know, it's interesting. David had this experience at the threshing floor. But years before, one of the patriarchs had that same, at that same place, at that very same location, also experienced God. See, Abraham was asked to bring Isaac up at Mount Moriah. And it is said that the same threshing floor where David made that sacrifice, Abraham sacrificed or brought Isaac up in obedience to the Lord at Mount Moriah, that same threshing floor. See, Abraham, the forefather of King David, was willing to give God whatever God asked. It was a test by God to say, say Abraham, does this thing that you have, does this, this gift for me, this promise for me of Isaac more important to you than me? And, God, and Abraham was willing to say, you know what, God, take him. Take him. 
It was a place of surrender. See, the threshing floor is a place of surrender. It's a place to believe God for the impossible because it's scripture says that Abraham knew, hey, listen, I know God. I know he's so powerful that he could resurrect Isaac. That's what scripture says. See, the threshing floor is a place of intimacy and obedience. It's a time when God speaks to us and says, will you obey? Will you give it all? All of you. All of you. Genesis twenty two fourteen says, And Abraham called the name of the place Jehovah Jireh because God had provided a ram. Rather than Abraham having to sacrifice Isaac, there was a miraculous moment and God rebuilt himself supernaturally. By myself have I sworn, says the Lord, for because you have done this thing, because you are willing to obey and have not withheld your son, your only son, that in blessing I will bless you. And in multiplying I will multiply your seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And your seed shall possess the gates of his enemy. That's you and me. His seed shall possess the gates of the enemy. But this is the thing. On this rushing floor of Mount Moriah, which later would become the place where King David would experience his cleansing. Abraham was willing to give whatever God asked. He was willing to surrender. What are you holding on to? What are you holding on to that God says, will you give it to me? Will you trust me? Are you willing to lay it all down for me? Because if you do, I'm the God who multiplies blessing. I can put into your hand more than what you have given to me. So many people are holding tightly to something. It could be whatever is in their life. Whatever is in their life. See, this is the thing. Abraham knew that in the releasing and in the obedience that he was not forsaken by his God. Not for a minute was I forsaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, dry bones awaken. The Lord is in this place. The Lord is in this place. See, he knew that God was not going to forsake him. Sometimes, I'm going to tell you, in the presence of the Lord, the Lord's going to ask you, to lay stuff down. He's going to ask you to do something for him. And it's going to require a pound of flesh. It's going to require your flesh. Because you in your own will don't want to do it. Because I can guarantee you Abraham did not want to sacrifice Isaac. But he crucified his flesh and said, whatever you ask. Because I trust you so much, Lord. That you will never forsake me. And in God's presence, we are not to resist or shut down when God is speaking to us to obey him. The threshing floor later, see King David, Abraham. But later, this same threshing floor was the place where Solomon built the temple. 
It was a place of God's presence. The same place, Mount Moriah, the same place of this, this piece of property that David purchased to make his sacrifice, that same place, that same threshing floor became the place of God's glory, the temple. Second Chronicles 5.13 says this, Then the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not remain standing to minister because of the cloud, for the glory and brilliance of the Lord filled the house house of God. This is when the temple was built. Second Chronicles 7, when Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priest could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all of the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good. His love endures forever. The threshing floor is a place of God's glory. It was not a place where they feared God because the fire of God meant for the people the love of God, his presence, his warmth, his love for them. And they gave thanks to the Lord saying, he is good and his love See, the fire comes out and his love endures forever. See, when we're in his presence, we experience his glory, his goodness, his goodness towards us. And I'm going to tell you, we are in God's presence. God's presence is here for us today. We are to be obedient to the Lord. We are to be Willing to be cleansed, whatever he asks of us. For he is good. He is good. I want worship team to come up here. You see, on the day of Pentecost, that Holy Spirit poured out. And the church was birthed on that day. Many came to know Christ and received him. But I'm going to read to you something that's really significant. Acts 2.46 says this. Day after day, this new church, this new gathering, this people of God, newly baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire. Day after day, they met in the temple area, continuing in one mind. Where did they meet? Where did they meet? Temple area. Solomon's temple the threshing floor they met at the threshing floor the temple area was the threshing floor it was the place where the holy spirit filled believers gathered and the threshing floor the place of change the place of purification god's presence the place of surrender the place of submission the place of obedience is still where Holy Spirit believers gather. See, this is a thing, people. I don't want us to be the go-to church. I don't care if we're the cool church. I don't want us to be the go-to church. I want us to be the go-to God church. Go to God, church. 
I want to be in his presence. I want to be in your presence, Lord. See, when we proclaim over you muscle Christians, what we're saying is, I'm willing to sit and lay and respond to the presence of the Lord. I'm willing to be changed. I'm willing to be transformed. I'm willing for you to ask me to do something and I will do it. I'm willing to believe in the supernatural. That's what it means. That's what it means. I'm willing to lay down my pride. I'm willing to take off my royal robes. I don't care what Michael says about me. She may try to shame my worship, but she's a person of pride. Sometimes Michael is ourself against ourself. Do you understand what I mean? We're shaming our own self. We don't need anybody else to shame us. We're doing a good job on our own. Come on. Come on. You know it's true. We still gather at the threshing floor. The place like David did when he laid before the Lord and said, I'm sorry, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. Cleanse me, Lord. I surrender to you. all of me for all of you there's always more there's always more there's always more there's always more all of me for all of you there's always more there's always more. Go ahead, Peter. We're going to sing a song. I want you just to listen. And I want you to worship. We bow low. We bow low. Faces down to the ground in your presence, Lord. And with our tears, we wash your feet. We bow low, we bow low, falling on our knees. We bow low, we bow low. To the King of Kings, Jesus, you are our King. We bow low, 
bow low. We bow low. Come on. We're going to submit ourselves. Faces down to the ground in your presence, Lord. With our tears, we wash your feet. We bow low. We bow low, falling on our We bow low, we bow low to the King of Kings. The threshing floor is a place of worship. What are you willing to surrender? See, what we're confronting, the mountain that we're confronting is ourself. I surrender all. That's what bowing low means. I surrender. Oh, I surrender. Come on. What is it? What is it? Spirit. See, the Lord gave me a picture of a heart, and that heart had clogged arteries. The blood could not flow. And the Lord said, you know what's clogging the arteries, Lynn? And I said, what, Lord? And he said, pride. I want my blood to flow through my people. I want my blood to flow, to cleanse, to, to enliven, to send my, my, my breath, my oxygen to every part of them, every area of their life. But they have to have their arteries unclogged. Let the Holy speak to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I've been crucified with Christ. 
It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. But why am I so ashamed of the gospel then? When I'm out there with my friends, I've been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. Come on, people. Come on. Come on. Let's worship him. Let the threshing floor be a part of our lives. It's okay. We can be cleansed. We can be forgiven. Shame is undone. We can obey. We can surrender. We can submit. sitting, I want you to stand. Those of you that are in the presence of the Lord, just be where you want to be in the presence of the Lord. Whatever those, wherever way you need to be in the presence of the Lord, it can be standing, it can be sitting, it can be kneeling, it can be laying. It doesn't, it's between you and the Lord. Worship is what you do in response to him. But one thing I don't want you to do is let your pride dictate to you. I want you to bow low, bow low, submit, surrender. The Lord is, is making this house a prosperous house, but this house will be a humble house. This will be a humble house. We will not have pride or arrogance or worldliness or submitting to the pride of man or what the world thinks we should be. We're going to be the go-to God church. We're going to be whatever you want, church, Lord, whatever you desire. What's going to unlock, what's going to unlock is that surrender. Some of you, you need to surrender some things. You're not surrendered and you know it. And it's time for you to surrender. Submit to the Lord. 
the Holy Spirit is here and your surrender is for your benefit your surrender is for your blessing your surrender is for your victory The Lord sends his grace to the humble. He pours out his grace to the humble. He pours out his grace to the humble. He pours out his grace. He pours out his grace. He pours out his grace, out his grace to the humble. We'll bow low, Lord. We surrender all to you. We crucify the flesh. This is the connection. This is the vital link. The presence of the Lord, the surrender to the Lord is the vital link to walking in power and authority. You may ask, why am I not walking in power and authority? You know what? It's time to surrender. It's time to give yourself. Say whatever you want. The Lord has designed his body to be a powerful church, a powerful people. But his body is a submitted body to the head, which is Christ Jesus. We will be in submission. Lord, purify us of worldliness, Lord. Purify us of philosophies of the world. Purify us, Lord. Some of us have shame. We have shame. We have shame. Some of us have shame about worship even. And we got to get rid of that shame. We got to get rid of that shame. There's a man pleasing shame in you, and it's got to be broken off of you. The presence of the Lord is not relegated to retreats. It is here. He is here. He wants to rest on his people. The Lord wants to rest on his people. The Lord wants to rest on you. He wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to transform your mind. He wants to heal a broken heart. He wants to wipe away memories that haunt you. The Lord wants to give rest to the weary. The Lord wants to give rest to the sleepless. It's time for you. time to be cleansed this is the threshing floor of our God the same threshing floor that David was at the same threshing floor that Abraham was at the th same threshing floor that Solomon was at and the glory of the Lord filled the temple the glory is the goodness of the Lord he is real this is a religion if you want religion go someplace else this is the presence of the Lord the transforming power of God he is real he is real the heaven is open the heaven is open Jesus rent the heavens the veil has been torn the presence of the Lord is here for you quit putting back up the 
barrier. It's your barrier. It's not his. He says, be in my presence. My presence. My presence is the answer. In my presence is your answer. My presence is your answer. You're saying, I want an answer. God, fix this. Fix that. The Lord says, my presence is your answer. continue on to to worship the Lord but what we're going to do is if you want to leave I want you to go ahead and go but I don't want you to talk in here I want you to go to the lobby because I believe the Lord has something more for people I believe that there's more there's more and we're not going to let time prevent that that's one thing that pastor and david and i are not going to do from now on the altar is not going to be aborted for the time of man but if you have something you need to do or you desire to go you feel released to go go ahead and do that that's fine but we're going to continue on in our altar time so we release you to go god bless you as you go have a great thanksgiving holiday Psalmist David says, I lift up my eyes to the hills from where comes my help. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he will watch over Israel, and he will neither, neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by night or by day, and the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. And he will watch over your life. May the Lord watch over your comings and your going, both now and forevermore. Lord, we just pray that we would surrender to you in all areas, Lord. That we see that, God, you watch over us everywhere we go. Lord, that you're here right now watching over us. And, Lord, I pray that we could just look to you, who is our help. I pray that we could look to you, God, who is our helper. God, I pray that you would, we would look to you, and, Lord, not look to ourselves not look to others, but God, we would look to you. I pray that you would look, we would look to you, God, in a special way. I pray that God, your Holy Spirit would just look upon us in the anointing of your spirit, Lord, that we would look upon you as our helper. Look upon you, God, that we need you every hour that we, we live this day, our lives, Lord, we need you. And I just pray, Father, that we would just continue to surrender to you in all areas, Lord. God, if there's any pride or any arrogance in our lives, Lord, we, re we repent of that, Lord. We turn from it, Lord. And I ask that, Lord, you would make us humble people. 
God, like David said, give us a contrite spirit and a humble heart. Give us a heart that seeks after you more than we seek after other things, God. Give us a heart that yearns to know you, God. Give us a heart that yearns to be in your presence, Lord. Give us a heart that is, is not so filled with self-confidence that we don't need you, God, but we just humble ourselves before you, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I want to tell you, a few years ago, it's actually been probably 20 years ago, but I was in a service a little bit like this, and I was sitting there, and they were giving an altar call. It happened to be in my, during my master's degree program. They had some revivalists come in, and there was a lot of um, skeptics in the room. And the Lord spoke to me 20 years ago and said, you choose. What are you going to do right now? Are you going to respond in humility, Lynn, or are you going to leave? And the Lord just brought this up to me right now. It's not something I planned to tell you. And I said, well, Lord, I'll be honest with you exactly what I said. Can I go to the bathroom first and then I'll come? Because I really had to go. And he said, okay. But I went real fast and then I ran down to the altar. In the seminary classroom with a bunch of stinking skeptics. Because I said, Lord, I want more. I want more. I want more. I want more. I don't want religion and I don't want head knowledge and I don't want dry bones. I don't want dry bones. I want more. I want more. I'm hungry, Lord. I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. They can go. They can go and write their papers. They can go and pass their tests. But I want more of you, Lord. I want more of you. And I'm telling you, today's the day where some of you, the Lord's saying, you decide. You decide. What do you want? Do you want to live in dry bones? Or do you want more? More. We want more. We want more. I want more. I still want more, Lord. We want more. I don't care. I don't care how much money you have in the bank or how much money you don't have in the bank. I don't care what you do for a living. You may be really important or not important at all. But all you have to do is say, I want more, Lord. I want more of you, Lord. I hunger and thirst for you. Break off the old thing, Lord, and clothe me in the new thing. I take off the robes. I take off the robes and I put on the humility, Lord, to be in your presence. I hunger and thirst for you, Lord. I want you, Lord. I want you, Lord. I want all of me for all of you. All of me for all of you. All of me for all of you. No more double lives. No more living one way with somebody else and different here when you're in, at church. No more dualistic lives. All of me for all 
all of you. Purify me, Lord. Purify me, Lord. Purify me, Lord. Purify my heart, Lord. Purify my mind, Lord. Purify me, Lord Jesus. Purify my life. Take away the chaff. Take away the garbage. All the stuff that doesn't need to be there. All the worldliness. Let it go. 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 This is a threshing floor. The wind of the Lord is blowing in this house. And he's taking the chaff. And he's saying it's going. It's going. The wind takes it away on the threshing floor. Burn, fire, burn. The love of God wants the best for you. The love of God. You know what? I really feel like I'm taking... I'm taking a hatchet to, to things that need to go. You want victory. I'm taking a hatchet. Now that I let everybody that wants to go go, I'm going to start taking a hatchet to some stuff. We're going to get real. We're going to get real, real fast here. We're taking a hatchet to idols in our life. Things that we depend on, that we don't depend on the Lord. We're taking a hatchet to those idols. Things we reach for. Things we reach for to, to satisfy us when God wants to satisfy us. Things we reach for to calm us when God wants to give us peace. We're going to take a hatchet to the idols. The idols in our life. No more. No more. The threshing floor is a place of cleansing. It's a place of a good bath. Let it cleanse you. Let it cleanse you. Pride of man must leave, must go, go. That's one of the idols, arrogance. More of you, Lord. More of you, Lord. More of you, Lord. We're going to fight for it. We're going to fight for it. I'm going to be crucified with Christ. I'm not going to breathe on stuff that's garbage in my life. I'm not going to give time to garbage anymore. There's freedom in this house. 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 There's deliverance in this house. There's healing in this house. There's salvation in this house. There's empowerment in this house. There's baptism in this house. It's time for you. It's time for you. It's time for you. It's time for you. Be transformed. Be transformed. Be transformed. Be transformed, be transformed, be transformed, be transformed, be transformed. Oh, be transformed. The Lord says, be transformed, be transformed. More of you, 